for me, it was like everything absolutely happened for a reason. Because if I didn't sort of pursue that opportunity and didn't realize to what extent being around the people, giving them my energy, receiving their energy was what truly made me happy, it never would have led me to this career in hospitality over the last 25 to 30 years. Hello and welcome to the Mentors Edition. I'm Michelle Chikander and I'm delighted that you've decided to join me for yet another episode. Today I'm going to be talking to Tanya Pratt, who is the VP of Strategy and Product Management at Oracle Hospitality. Quite a mouthful. But what is even more of a, of a wonder, if you like, is how this woman has constructed her career. She's moved from ops to tech She's had babies. You know, she's navigated a lot of the challenges that you and I are facing as we are on our journey upwards. But what I love about her story is she's going to share with us why you shouldn't listen to my advice. <laughs> and my advice is always, you know, have a plan, try and be as clear as possible, because if you have a vision, you're going to you know, be able to achieve far more than without one. Tanya has a different view. She says, you know, you don't always have to have a plan and it can still work. In fact, she talks about how not having a plan has allowed her to see more opportunities because she's not wedded to just one thing. She's talked about how to know when it's time to move on in one direction or the other, but without necessarily having that little piece of paper that's like an instruction manual. And this is what I love about her story. It is real. It is you know, talking about practical ways that you can improve your career. But not only that, it's veering away from what we are traditionally told. And that is why I love doing this podcast, because you just get to hear people that say, I didn't do it the traditional way and I succeeded. And you can too. And here's how. So here's Tanya's interview. I hope you like it. Send me your questions. You know, I love hearing from you. And these interviews become better the more we hear from you. Here's Tanya. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really, really thrilled to be having a conversation with you. And I'm really, really looking forward to all the nuggets that you can share with those with our lovely listeners and how much wisdom there is in your story. So let's dive right in. Um, tell us a little bit about your, your childhood. Sure. So I, uh, my parents immigrated to Canada when I was uh, very young. And uh, I didn't realize to what extent that sort of had a very, I would say, profound impact on me. Because kind of being dislodged from everything that you know, uh, the language that you grew up speaking, because we came from a country where English wasn't the primary language, and sort of being put into an environment where you just kind of have to figure it out. And what I realize only now when I reflect on that is that that's sort of what I have used for like kind of through the rest of my life and career is you just figure it out. Okay. And um, I, sorry. I said, I love that. This idea yeah. of there's no need for certainty. It's just you, if you're thrown into a situation, you make it work. You make it you make it sort of work. And I think a lot of time sort of what we hear is this idea of you need to have a plan in order to be successful there. You know, you need to kind of have a list of items, things that you want to achieve. And that in itself can create a lot of pressure because sometimes you just don't know. 
And as long as you believe in yourself and can kind of adapt to that situation, then in the end, you know, it, it can work out. But again, the environment that sort of grew up in, and I grew up with an older brother, some would call him a genius. I try not to, because maybe <laughs> he'll be listening to this. And we, we don't want him to, you know, at the next family gathering, <laughs> bring that up. But definitely what would be considered uh, an overachiever and did very well kind of in, in school and in athletics and all of that. And, uh, you know, people often ask me, like, did I feel intimidated by it? Did I think that I will forever be in his shadow and therefore what's the point kind of trying? And the honest truth is no. I, I don't think that I ever really sort of thought about it. It was his life and my life was mine. And it wasn't even an effort to like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, better than him. But I was on my own path and he was on his own path. So I think probably there was always a little bit of maybe an internal competition, which was healthy, but never one that resulted in, in animosity and <clears throat> comparison of achievements. Right. But I mean, it certainly didn't make me feel that way either. Yeah, I mean, what, what typically happens is, you know, I, I have older brothers and I constantly compared myself to my older brothers because they, you know, got to do so much more. They didn't have to do housework. And it was this idea. My mum always used to say, don't compare your different children. But you yeah. somehow had this hardwired into you that my journey is my own and his journey is his own. And there is no need to compare the two, which probably helped you not get the woman complex, right? This is happening to me because I'm female. This is happening to me because I'm a girl. But actually, you were like, no, the two things are very separate. Yeah, most definitely. And I think, you know, I think it's common and it's human nature to sort of look at people beside you, whether it's in personal life or, you know, school life or athletics or anything like that, where I think it's hired, wired in us to compete on some levels. It's why even, you know, on sports teams, it's like only one gold medal <laughs> that gets provided <laughs> and all of that. So... I think you can either use that as an anchor or as a, as a springboard or have it be your anchor. And for me, definitely, as I sort of spend time kind of reflecting upon, you know, what are all those things that kind of combined together drove me to where I am today? I very much used it as a springboard. It was never going to be something, oh, I'm never going to achieve that. So I'm not even going to bother trying. It's like, let me see what I can do on my own. Yeah. Irrespective of how excellent and amazing and how incomparable my brother is. I will see what I can do and, and I yeah. will live my own life. I, I absolutely love that because now we move on a little bit further. You use this, <clears throat> you use the two things that we talked about this, I'm going to make it work. And my journey is my own. This mindset proceeds to when you first go to university. Tell us a little bit about that. You go to university, what do you study and what happens? Yeah, so all the way through high school, I excelled in the sciences, so the maths and sciences. And so in sort of a, a discussion with the guidance counselor, counselor at the end of high school as I was applying to universities, there was sort of a, a very clear indication of what I should pursue, which is a career in sciences. That's just what you do. So that's what I did. And I went into university. I kind of had my sights set on something in the medical field, perhaps a doctor, physiotherapist, kind of pharmacist. That, that was going to be my journey. And... I would say probably halfway through my second year, I, I kind of realized that that was not going to be my bliss. It was just not, it wasn't satisfying whatever need it was that I had. And I couldn't quite define what that need was. I couldn't quite define, you know, what was going to be kind of that, that thing that was going to bring me joy long term. But I knew that the career that I was, path that I was on wasn't going to be it. 
So at that time, I would say it, it took courage to uh, kind of say, this is not for me. Yeah, but before, let's just explore this a little bit. What you said, you knew that it wasn't going to make you happy long-term, but what were you experiencing in that moment? Like, how were you feeling at that time? I would say uh, feeling of being unsettled. So it was, couldn't put my finger on exactly what the feeling is, but it just made me unsettled. Every day was sort of walking and going, this is not it, this is not it, this is not it. Not being able to identify exactly what was it, but just knowing that what I was feeling in that moment was making me unsettled, which ultimately made me unhappy, maybe not want to kind of put in as much effort as I kind of needed to put in and all of that. So a combination of all those different things, it was sort of drove me to go, this is not for me. Okay. And then you made the decision and then what happened? Made a decision, told my parents, which again, for any immigrant parents that choose to sort of leave their home country and pursue a better life, not just for themselves, but their children, it was met with a little bit of eyebrow raising, I would say. And it's like, that's not what you do. You don't quit. Like, this is the path that you're on. But again, I think I've always been my own person and sort of let that kind of follow an internal guiding light. And I stuck to my guns and said, no, this is kind of what I'm going to do. And I'm going to try something else. So I pulled out of school at that time and thought I'm going to take a little bit of time to figure out what truly gives me bliss and what I want to do next. And um, got a job working in in a restaurant, which again was very difficult for people to sort of (laughs) comprehend as to why I would pull myself off of this path that I was on and, and do something that was, you know, just kind of a job with not really maybe a, a career path in front of me. And a linear uh, career path in front a of me. Yeah. Um, but, but let's talk about though, there was societal pressure where it, whether it was coming from your parents and obviously there's the prospect of your genius brother looming over your head every time you make a decision. Yeah. And, and your friends and your peers and everybody thinking, oh my gosh, you have this science genius for a girl, which is rare, um, in quotes. And then you go and you become a waitress. Uh, you know, this is what everybody's thinking. Like she's, she's, her career, her life has gone, you know, to, to dust. It's going to become nothing. Yeah. How did you deal with that external, you know, other people's views of your career yeah. decisions and not, you know, how did you veer away from the instinct to feel like a failure? Because if I put myself in that situation, I assume I would have felt like, okay, I failed. I've gone from a science degree, being a whiz to working in a kitchen and, you know, having people give me a dollar. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's a really good question. And again, I have, having gone down that path, I have utmost respect for people that are in the service industry. <clears throat> and especially this day and age where they're so difficult to find because they have found other career options. Mm-hmm. I loved what I was doing when I was doing it. I really did. Because it actually gave me a glimpse into what truly made me happy, which is being around people. And that is what, that is why there was a really, really important step in my journey. And yes, family, people that knew me were like, you know, why would you do this? Not like it, it, it's beneath me. I never want to make it that. But it was like, just like, oh, that, that, that seems like a weird sort of sidetrack from yeah. the path that you're on. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of seems sort of odd. 
But for me, it was like everything absolutely happened for a reason, because if I didn't sort of pursue that opportunity and didn't realize to what extent being around the people, giving them my energy, receiving their energy was what truly made me happy, it never would have led me to this career in hospitality over the last 25 to 30 years. So I'm thankful for that moment every single day, which in the moment seemed like, well, that was like the most dramatic move that I could make. It was absolutely kind of what led me down the path that I'm on right now. Absolutely. And then finding your joy, you do find joy in the simplest things. I remember one of my first, one of my first jobs is I worked in retail for four years when I was going through university. And as you say, I learned how to interact with people. I le- and it gave me so much joy. So I knew when I finished my degree, I wanted to do something that was people-centric. Um, so this doesn't necessarily, be, it's, it's to say that there is moments where sometimes you deviate from your career, but you ultimately find what it is that you are truly meant to do sometimes by going the route that, that other people don't think you should go down. Yeah, absolutely. But just sort of to answer your earlier question about, you know, how did I feel in that moment as people were sort of having these kind of opinions as to the move that I made? I fundamentally always sort of stuck to my convictions and I believed in myself. And I knew, even though I probably didn't realize it in the moment, and I wish I could define the feeling that I was feeling at that particular time, but it was like, I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to, you know, not let the external influences have that deep of an effect on me, that it's going to, in the end, make me kind of change my mind or something. But it wasn't easy. There was pressure, family, friends to kind of go, get back on the path, get back on the path. For probably, you know, about two years that I had sort of deviated from it. And it's like, no, this is the right thing for me, some sort of internal fire or drive or belief, whatever you want to call it. But in the end, that's that's kind of what um, caused me, I guess, to stay focused and true to myself. Yeah, like during our, our previous chat, I asked you a question and I found the response that you gave me really interesting. So I'm going to ask it again. Yeah. Um, and that is the question, did you ever cry? Did you crumble? Did you, you know, did you, did you have faltering moments where you're like, I don't think I'm going to make it through this? Yes, and I still do. And I don't think that makes me less a person, weaker person or anything like that. But I have always been in touch with my feelings and my emotions. And that is the way sometimes that these sort of difficult situations manifest themselves in and as long as you have somebody there that's going to you know you can kind of unload to share these feelings with and they can some kind of sometimes just sort of uh root you in the reality of situation and perhaps give you a different point of view I think it's okay to feel however you feel I think as women especially sometimes we sort of put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be really strong to not show emotions because a man would never show emotions why would we if anything, the kind of leader that that I am and that I want to continue to be is one with empathy and the one with emotion. I think that kind of brings us a little bit closer together with the people that we're working with. So I've absolutely had moments where I'm like, what is this going to kind of look like? And then I pick myself up and I'm like, all right, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's happened to the best of us where you just need, you're just like, I just need to go home, have a cry, have a wine, and then I'll be back in at 7.30 and we can start again. And that's okay. And that is so, so okay. And I say that to my kids, especially to my daughter all the time. It's like, have your moment, process your emotion, move on. 
Absolutely. But I think the worst thing is suppressed emotion. I think suppressed emotions is what leads us to dangerous places. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, that, so then what happens? Let's come back in. You're now working in uh, hospitality. You're, you're a waitress for two years. Then what happens? So I met um, a friend who was working in the same restaurant as me. And this was kind of in the summer. And she was just sort of through conversation and interacting. And again, when you get, you know, a whole bunch of 20 year olds working together and, you know, partying together and having a good time together, all these sort of, you know, conversations about careers and life sort of come out. And she told me that she was entering a program for hospitality and tourism management in a local university and made it sound really, really interesting. And I thought, all right, well, let me try that. That sounds like a good thing at that point. You know, it has been sort of two years. I sort of realized that, okay, I've done this. I've proved to myself that I can be, you know, successful and happy and doing and all of this, but what sort of next? And, uh, and I applied and I got in and um, that, that kind of, you know, went through university for those four years, got my degree. Uh, while I was in school, there were opportunities for like co-op po positions, so intern positions in a local hotel. And I applied for that, got in. And that was sort of got my first taste for hotel life, which I loved. And it's really the industry that I have been in since then. Amazing. So you you graduate and then you start this rise in your career. And I want to ask you something about that, that a lot of people don't always share because we, we have a tendency as human beings to gloss over the journey. Yeah, like, yeah I did that. But it's like, how? Yeah. <laughs> So, so I want to ask you a little bit about that. You know, in the earlier parts of your career, when you were still, quote unquote, hustling, um, how did you create opportunities for yourself? How did you see the opportunity and say, OK, um, I can see that there could be a role there and I need to position myself for that? How, how did that work in your career? Yeah, so it's um, I mean, the one thing about hotel life for sure is that you're sort of it, it's either becomes part of your DNA or you get out because it's grueling and it's a grind. It's a 24 seven business, which means that when you're frontline staff, you're working, you know, shifts that start, starts at 6.30 in the morning, or maybe you're working shifts that start 11 o'clock at night, and you're just kind of in it all the, all the time. And I never minded the grind. I never minded it. I never thought that it was like, oh, okay, this is not, you know, I'm above it, or look at all my, you know, degrees, or all that kind of stuff. I just sort of enjoyed every minute. And it helped to have sort of the peers and the leadership within the hotel that I was at that was very sort of supportive and knew how to kind of manage, I would say, a younger workforce that was just trying to find themselves. Mm -hmm. So one opportunity led to another. After a year in that hotel, an opportunity presented itself for a different role. So I thought, OK, let me kind of try that role. And then a year after that, a, pos a position was open for a role in the corporate office for the company that I worked for. So that kind of led to the next one. So it wasn't, I would say, a maybe kind of a, a scripted way that I sort of handled it. It was just by being myself. It was just by, you know, the personality and a willingness to work hard and a willingness to say yes to no matter what was kind of thrown at me from a challenge perspective that kind of led to the next thing. And in the end, when you have really good leaders that recognize talent and they're like, I know that this person has, you know, the ability or not only what they're doing kind of right now, but has, um, you know, ambition 
and uh, maybe let's create some kind of opportunities for for growth. And he's willing to take those opportunities for growth and embrace them, even though they may not look that glamorous in the moment. Uh-huh. And then they will just sort of help support you to whatever the next path in the journey is. Yeah. Uh, and I think what I love about that is you said two things that are crucial or critical in terms of your development. And that is, number one, work hard. That's the basis, right? You 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 and you dedicated yourself to what you were doing. You worked hard. And then number two, you just said yes. When a challenge presented itself, you didn't overthink it from what you said. You didn't overthink it or think, well, can I do it? Can't I do it? You just said, I'm going to try. <laughs> that's it right I'm gonna try they said I should go into this department I'm gonna try and speaking of which I want to now know how you made that jump into tech um you know how did you because this is you know you you, you you're largely working on the corporate side being client yeah. based, all, of, all of this stuff and now tech presents itself how does that happen and and what is that yeah so before I go I, I should also say that I spent 10 years kind of on the business operation side before I pivoted into tech. Mm -hmm. And during those 10 years, it was a lot of different things. So it was operations, then it was, you know, some marketing, then some loyalty, then went into uh, e-commerce, but it was literally as work presented itself Mm -hmm. and there was a uh, opportunity to kind of try something different I just sort of raised my hand and I said I'll do it and it wasn't necessarily giving up the responsibilities that I had already it was just adding on so add on add on so my scope kind of grew over time it wasn't really an overnight thing so when the opportunity presented itself to move into tech and I didn't even realize that it was an opportunity was literally you know kind of passing the CIO in the hallway that had a, a strategy and a thing that he wanted to achieve, which is sort of digital transformation of the company. And just kind of chatting with him about kind of what we were doing in operations and what he was doing in an IT. And he at that time that I would say probably early on, because that was, I don't know, mid 2000s, knew that in order to transform the business, on the technology side, he needed to get somebody that knew how to communicate and operate from within, meaning somebody from the business side, because they would understand how to sort of not only create the strategy for change, but be able to execute on it because they they lived it themselves kind of in their prior years. So he asked me, you know, is would I want to kind of move into IT and help lead this sort of uh, technology transformation or digital transformation for the business? And I I think I thought about it probably the longest that I've thought about anything, uh, which was, oh, well, how could I leave, you know, my current role? And that that was probably the first glimpses of like guilt that I kind of experienced later on as a parent, which is, you know, everybody on the business side has been so good to me. You know, they promoted me. They saw potential in me. They gave me all these opportunities. How could I just sort of leave them behind? I need to stay. I need to do this. And it was really, uh, I, I don't know, I feel like I maybe woke up at three o'clock in the morning. I don't know. It sounds really like it would make for a good movie if I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden I had this epiphany that I kind of needed to make this change. But it was like that. It was in the moment kind of going, you know what, if I don't try this, I feel like I'm going to always ask myself, what if? And, you know, the conversation that we had was on a Friday. I came in on a Monday and told my kind of current manager at that time that 
I was sort of leaving and I was moving one floor in the building and was now going to work in IT. And uh, that also was another, again, fork in the road that had I not taken it, I'm sure I would have had a different path and a successful one. But this, I would say, was probably the most profound decision for me in that moment because it led me to the career that I've had over the last 15 years. Yeah, but let's talk about where you were going. It wasn't, quote unquote, the sexiest role. Um, you know, at, you know at the t- we know yeah. now that it was the sexiest role, but at the time for you, it, it wasn't necessarily the sexiest seeming role, was it? No, I didn't. I probably didn't even really know what the role was. Because <laughs> to me, and at that time, right, we're talking early 2000s, IT for most companies, especially in hospitality, was still, you know, the people that like fixed your printer and like made sure that cables were plugged in. That was like, it is not what it is today, which is very much, you know, having a seat at the table with business driving strategy. It was execution. It was, you know, very technical stuff. It was like people that, you know, knew math and were really good at that and all, all that sort of stuff. So the role in a way that was, I would say, a blessing for me because it allowed me to define the role based on who I was as a person and what I thought the business could achieve. So it wasn't like walking into somebody else's shoes. It was a newly created role, which seems to have sort of been, I would say, the trend through most of my career, which is a new role that originated and I got to define it and mold it to sort of what my strengths are and what I kind of what my vision was for the future. But you're right. It wasn't like the most glamorous thing. It wasn't I, I didn't even know what it was. And then slowly but surely it kind of developed into something which truly was, I would say, transformational for me, both as a person as well as a business professional. But again, the two things are coming back in, right? It's the whatever it is, I'm going to make it work. And it's this idea that, you know what, why not me? I'm going to put my hand in the ring and I'm going to try it. You didn't overthink it. You just decided, okay, so I'm going to make it work. And I'm not going to, there's nothing to compare to. I'm going to just make this my own. My yeah, absolutely. yeah, it's my journey. I'm going to make it my own. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm not going to compare it to anything. We're just moving forward and we're going to make this work. Yes, absolutely. And I think that is where sort of the, you know, when you have a plan and you have steps one through a hundred outline or however many steps there are, when you need to deviate from that plan, it can be discouraging because you're like, well, I had a plan. Oh, why, you know, why am I not following all those steps of in the plan? And I'm not saying that having a plan is not good advice. Absolutely. Every book you read, every, you know, blog you read, people kind of talk about what is the, the advice you would give your younger self and it's about have a plan. But I guess my plan always was just believe in myself and that will kind of ultimately drive me to, to success and my bliss. That in itself maybe wasn't a plan. So it wasn't outlining steps one through a hundred. It was like, I will think about the opportunity as it happens in the moment and believe that I can make it no matter what. Yeah. But it was, it was kind of work oriented. It was like, okay, I'm going to work as hard as I can. I've got this overarching idea of what success looks and feels like for me, because we knew during medical science that it looked like success, but it didn't feel like success. So I stepped out of that. So I've got this idea of what success feels and looks like to to me over here. And I'm going to work down here. And eventually the two are going to, you know, come together, ideally over here, not over here. (laughs) But, um, 
but the two are going to come together. Yeah. Let's throw some spanner in the works. Okay. It's a conversation right now. I.e. in comes marriage, in comes children. You know, you're on this stratospheric rise. You know, you've still got to grind. How did that all then work together? Because from what I understand, you, when you go into this tech role, you've just had a child. Yes. Crazy. So, yeah. So you've, you've just, you've been married, you know, a couple of years before that. Now you have a, a, a child, you've come back from maternity leave and you're going into this new tech role. There's a lot going on there. So what is happening? How are you feeling emotionally? Let's talk through children, marriage, work. How did, how did that work? How did that pan out? Yeah, lots of um, guilt, lots of am I doing the right thing, lots of you know, what if I'm not there for every school bake sale and every concert and every, you know, pivotal moment in the kids' lives. So a lot of that is in, was in my head. And I just sort of tried to, you know, think through it, talk through it with others and just sort of experience those feelings, not suppress them, experience them, process them, move on. And there wasn't a formula. There wasn't like, oh, I read a specific book and that kind of gave me the guidance of what I could do next. But it was literally just being present and living in the moment and thinking about how do I get through today and then get through tomorrow and then get through the next day. So that that really was sort of was in my head. And again, belief that I needed to also create a bit of a, I would say, set an example for my kids. I wanted them to actually see and believe that they also could do anything, that you didn't necessarily balance it every day, but you blended it every single day, that you didn't necessarily, you know, attend every single event, but that you love them no matter what. And even if you're away on the other side of the ocean, dealing with some sort of a, you know, daily grind or issue, that they were still the most important thing in your world. So that was sort of, I would say, kind of the internal dialogue going through my head, which is just stick to what you believe in. They're going to be okay. You're setting a good example. And they then in the future will also have, you know, the lack of, or I would say being fearless that they also can achieve anything. So it wasn't like, oh, I have to set this sort of an example you know, that they need to be on a certain path, but it's more a belief to, to instill a belief in them that they also could do anything. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's really powerful. What I loved, and I know you said you read it somewhere, but this idea of we don't need balance, really. We just need to blend everything together. It's more of a fusion. It's more of a dance than a strict measuring scales of trying to get everything, you know, aligned. And I, I think that's really powerful because the guilt is unfortunately kind of inevitable. You are yeah. going feel those things because you do love your family and you do love your work. So it's going to either be work guilt or family guilt, but it is for the most part going to exist. It um, is, it is, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, to me to say I must achieve balance, I must have a plan and stick to it. It's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of pressure that ultimately results in lack of happiness if you don't hit all those milestones. Because then it's like, oh, look, I had a plan but I failed versus it's like, and then it, the other thing that I think is a negative um, repercussion as a result of it is that you forget to be present. You forget to enjoy the moment because you're always like the next milestone on my plan is X and you get to the end of it and you realize that 
I actually have no recollection of the journey. And the beauty to me and the feeling of I've earned all of this is what happened during that journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. The journey is the magic. And when we look back, <clears throat> we see that. But when we're going through it, we forget to enjoy it. Um, so it's so absolutely right. I do want to ask um, another question, though, which is regarding the journey. On this journey, you know, you've got a young family, you've got new responsibilities, you're in a new environment in tech and in other you know, areas in your career as you move on, where you've probably found yourself, as everybody has, not really knowing what you're doing all the time and feeling uncertain. And so my next question really is, how did you ask for help? You know, how did you ask for help in a way that didn't leave you feeling inferior and or, you know, not being fearful, which is what yeah. sometimes happens. We feel like, okay, I'm in a new role and I'm a mum. I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. I want to look like I'm, you know, at the same level as my peers. Um, but I, frankly, I don't know what I need to do right now, right this sec second with this specific uh, task, project, etc. How did you ask for help? So step one was to give myself permission to ask for help. Yes. And that is, I would say, the biggest mental block that people have is giving yourself permission not to be okay. Because especially if you've, if you've been successful, if you're you know, considered to be an overachiever or a type A, it's like you've got it all figured out. You're the one that people go to help. You're not the one asking for help. You just, you know, everything is perfect. Everything is great. You know exactly what to do. So when you are honest with yourself and say, I can't figure this out. I need to ask for help. When you give yourself permission to do that, it then becomes okay. And then you just do it. And then the first time is the hardest. And then the second, and then you realize that like you survived. Oh my God. I asked somebody else for help. They maybe didn't provide it uh, immediately or exactly as how I envisioned it, but they were able to maybe ask me a few questions that got me thinking about things differently. And now I came up with my own answer. And sometimes that in itself is helpful, which is I put the words out there. The person I'm talking to has said them back to me. I'm now like, oh, well, that sounds you know, interesting or silly, or maybe it's not as bad as I think or whatnot, because I always say that the worst enemy we have is behind, between our ears. Absolutely. Right? It's that person that it's like, yep, 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 yep. So again, I was very fortunate that I had a strong, uh, empathetic leader and manager that allowed me to have those moments where I was maybe not what I perceived to be perfect. And allowed me to put it out there, uh, you know, feelings, especially, which is like, here's how I'm feeling in the moment. I can't quite figure it out. And that allowed me the opportunity and time to solve for it myself. Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't always like, here's the solution. It was the think about things a little bit differently. And I think that is absolutely, to me, the best way to learn, which is give somebody just a few thoughts that get them thinking a little bit differently but let them figure it out on their own. Absolutely. So again, for me, the biggest thing was like giving myself permission for that very first time to say, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to figure this out and realizing that I managed to survive it. And then you made the second, third, fourth, fifth, probably 50th, that much easier. 
Absolutely. But let's talk about also like, I mean, getting into the specifics a little bit. You have yeah. a way, don't you, of actually then going out and actually asking for help. Um, tell us a little bit more about how you specifically, uh, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes do it. Yeah, it can be, um, you know, again, just sort of going and saying, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling unsettled about something. And I think a lot of time, especially for me, it was, it's not exactly knowing what the problem is. It's just a feeling of being unsettled. Like that for me, and I've learned over time, is what makes me realize that I'm not okay. It's like this sort of an internal, like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Once I've had an opportunity to sort of put it out there and talk through it and share my kind of feelings and emotions and thoughts around it is when things become a little bit more clear as to actually what the issue is. But I literally would walk into an, you know, somebody's office and say, here's how I'm feeling in the moment. And just by expressing it and then having a conversation about it is what then kind of takes leads to the next step, which is now let's get underneath it a little bit to f- figure out exactly what the problem is. Absolutely. And this, it, what, the, what themes this brings together is collaboration, um, self-assurance, but also understanding that asking questions usually leads to solutions, things getting solved quicker, which is even yeah. better for the business. The business does not need you sitting on the problem for six weeks when there's somebody next door who could help you get it done in one. Right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so as you say, the biggest enemy is up here. And once we stop overthinking things and, you know, thinking so much about ourselves, if we actually think about the most logical way, just ask for help. And, yeah. and you know, as you said before, use humor, use whatever you need to use in order to insulate yourself. Have self-assurance. You're OK. Now go ask. Solve the problem. <laughs> right. 100%. Deal. Yeah, 100%. I think in the end, when you sort of know who you are, uh, you believe in yourself and what you're capable of, you don't have the fear to be perceived as, you know, incapable or weak or emotional or all those kind of adjectives that people sometimes like to, you know, put label on on people that kind of are, you know, share the thoughts and feelings and don't just internalize everything. Mm -hmm. So is it an overnight thing? Are you just all of a sudden like, oh, I don't have this I'm fear and I'm just going to put it out there. No, but I'm always, always say that, you know, it takes only five seconds of courage to say something. Dealing with it after the fact is a lot easier. It's <laughs> that very first <laughs> sentence that you need to utter about. I'm not okay. I can't figure it out. That is the hardest, mm-hmm. but for that, you just need five seconds just five seconds to blurt it out. And then it just kind of goes from there. Absolutely. And this is also to do with the power of relationships. One of the things that has always been my strength in my career is I'm not afraid to build relationships because I know tomorrow, not next week, not next year, tomorrow, I'm going to ask for help. Yeah. So those relationships do help to facilitate that. And and this helps me drive through things quicker. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, we're going to move on a little bit. So you're, you, you know, you've, navigated family and work you're you've taken the leap into a tech role this is the second leap now and then there's another leap that happens uh, after which is when you move um and join a, a vendor you you change your career slightly and you go and you work for a vendor so you've got these three moments three these three big moments that change the shape of your career um and a question that most people you know ask when they're thinking about moving on is how do I know when it's time to move on 
Oh, I I wish that there was a decision script that one follows, but it's like, if you have answered these questions with a yes, now it's time to move on. <clears throat> I want to go back to sort of that feeling of being unsettled. I think we all have those feelings. We just can't quite define them. We, we don't really know what that is. You're just kind of like, it's, it's this internal turmoil that's sort of happening. And it's not turmoil that it's like, I wake up every single morning and I'm depressed and I'm crying. It's not that. It could just be that you're like not feeling your authentic self in that moment. And <clears throat> so for me, <coughs> pardon me, when that feeling of unsettledness does not go away and it's now been, you know, a week, a month, three months, six months, I force myself to sit down with my feelings and try to understand them. And it doesn't always, and it usually doesn't involve, involve others. It's just me chipping away at it. And it's almost like internal diagnosis of what is causing all of this. And we all have the answer within us. We just give you, need to give ourselves enough time to soar through them. We know it. Nobody can kind of answer it for us. We all know it. Sometimes we suppress it because we don't like the answer. Because the answer could be, I need to leave. I need to leave a job, a friend, a relationship, whatever that is. We all know it. It's just that sometimes we don't like it, so we suppress it. So in the case with the job, again, it was for me. Sorry? So sometimes it's hard. Sometimes so, it's hard. So you're like, okay, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I'll deal with that next I will time. deal with it tomorrow, right? And let's say it, I, I read something recently about procrastination and that's that's kind of exactly it which is like oh I'll deal with it tomorrow I'll deal with it tomorrow where if you just do something today tomorrow is that much easier but in case for me the realization really came when I allowed myself to think about how I was feeling when I allowed myself not to have the feelings of loyalty that you know again for group of people and a company that was very good to me and supported my career that I was like, I would now be disloyal if I sort of moved on to something else. So again, giving my myself permission to really kind of look deep and down and say, is this now the right time? And to make the move, which is what I did. And I think sometimes what we all have a tendency to do is like, we make a decision and then we beat ourselves up about the decision because maybe that wasn't the right decision. But I very early on learned from somebody that it's like, you make a decision and then you have to be okay with it, no matter what. Because you made that decision at that point in time based on facts, feelings, whatever you want to call it. So no matter what happens, you never look back and say, why did I do this? And that is sort of what I forced myself to do kind of in this most recent <laughs> pivot, which is like, that is a decision that I'm making. It feels right. And I'm just going to make the best of it, no matter what happens moving forward. Which has been your sort of life ethos again, hasn't it? Make it work. <laughs> make it work. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I also want to talk about what you expect of your, your, your um, direct reports when, when they're feeling like, okay, so you know, I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing. Maybe I need to move into this department. Maybe I need to be working more on this project. How do you navigate that as a leader? What do you, what is your, yeah. what are your expectations of yeah. them if they are struggling with what they're doing? Yeah. So first of all, my number one priority is as a leader is to create a 
safe environment for my team members to experience whatever they want to experience, to talk about whatever they want, to share whatever feelings that they want. When they ask me those sort of questions, which is like, you know, I'm being presented with an opportunity or maybe I want to do something else. I ask them whether they are running towards something or running away from something because it's two different things. If you're running towards something, which is like the greatest opportunity ever presented to it, or maybe not the greatest, maybe it's just seems right in the moment, go get it. I'm here to support you no matter what, and we'll help you when you get to the other side, if you have any questions. But if you're running away from something, then let's get to the bottom as to what that is. Because people confuse the two. They're like, oh, an opportunity has created itself and it sounds so wonderful. But that is like, dare I say, grass greener. (laughs) Everybody sort of thinks about that, which is like, no, I actually like the grass that I have. There's just these few little things that kind of bug me about it. So instead of trying to figure out how to sort of solve for it, they're like, I need to go somewhere else. And I think that is a really important question for all of us to ask ourselves when we presented those opportunities, which I also did it myself, which is, what is it that's driving me to want to make this decision? Is it because something that's missing or is not quite right or is making me unsettled in kind of my current role? Or is it truly that this is kind of the next step in my career and I really want to pursue it? So I think that's a really, really important question. Sometimes the answers come from the outside. Sometimes the answers come from within. I love that. I absolutely love that because it is true. Sometimes we're sort of just chasing the next shiniest thing, but actually sometimes the shiniest thing is right underneath our feet if we just polish it a little bit. <laughs> right? Absolutely. So I love that. We are all out of time. So I do have to ask my final question. And that is, you know, if you were giving advice to somebody on their on their come up, somebody who's on their journey, or maybe to to your younger self, what you know, what three things should people look out for? Should they do or or what would your advice be, generally speaking? Yeah. So and I think we sort of talked about a couple of them already. But to me, this idea of a plan is there's pressure that goes along with it. And all I would say to even my younger self when asked, do you have a plan or anybody new, which is like, if you have a plan, great. If you don't have a plan, great. That plan may come down the road. You don't need to be 15 years old and outline the next hundred you know, steps in your journey. Sometimes you just need this opportunity that happens in that moment. And that is okay. Because that that plan can also be quite, I would say, discouraging when you actually don't hit all those really milestones. So believe in yourself, know ultimately what you're capable of and what you can achieve. But if it's like, don't have it all figured out today, that is okay. That, that sort of come. The other part is, again, know when it's time to get out. Because the fear, the loyalty that we can feel the, um, you know, sort of not having uh, an understanding of what's to come or the uncertainty of it can be crippling. Change can be crippling. And often it's like, oh, my God, I can't even push myself. It's like, I want to run a marathon, but I can't even walk 100 feet. It's that very first step. It's having the courage, those five seconds of courage that I mentioned earlier, that just to make a decision in the moment, say the words and then deal with it. It's so much easier. So much easier. So just kind of have those five seconds, have the moments to know when it's time to sort of make the the change. 
And the last one, and I have to sort of keep repeating this back to myself because I didn't truly come to understand it until I would say maybe the last four to five years is appreciate the grind. Enjoy it. Appreciate it. It may be really, really difficult as you're going through it. You may think that you're above it. Oh, I've had all this schooling. Why do I have this job? I should have a different job. It may feel like you're never going to get through it. But when you get through the other side, you get a feeling of, I've earned it. I deserve to be here. And nobody can take that away from you. You know, I think on the last call, we sort of talked about the imposter syndrome. And I now go, no, I don't feel an, an imposter. It's 25 years of grind that got me to this. So, yeah, no, I don't feel like an imposter. Maybe years ago, but at this point in time, because that grind made me who I am today, it made me, you know, worth it to be here. I absolutely feel like I deserve to be exactly where I am today. Wonderful. Wow. I mean, yeah, thank you for that, Tanya. That was inspiring. And I learned a lot from that conversation for my own journey. Um, and, and I won't go into, into the details of exactly what, but I think what, I, what I'm inspired by is your ability to say, okay, I am on a journey. I, it doesn't have to be structured. It doesn't have to be planned. If it is, great, as you said. But for the most part, what, the, what eliminating the plan does is it allows me to be present and it also allows me to really just be able to see the other opportunities that are around. And I think that's an important lesson, especially for our self-help generation <laughs> that's constantly reading these things about needing a plan, etc. So thank you for that, to know that there is another way of doing things and ultimately you can still have a measure of success. So thank you for sharing with that. It's been a very insightful conversation and I cannot wait to have another chat with you in the near future and we can share even more insights. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Michelle. It was lovely talking to you.